0: About two months ago, I met a new friend, and one thing I really appreciate about him is he tells a great story, and he's a guy that grew up in Niagara all of his life, and then about 10 years ago, as he tells the story, his life was not in a good place. And he began to pray and to seek out truth and, and ask for encounters that would lead him in the right direction. And as he tells the story fairly dramatically, just two days later, he met someone that he'd never met before. And this person began to explain to them their faith journey and their faith system. And he says, as a result of these prayers and this encounter, he converted. Now, here's the catch in the story. As he told it to me, I didn't think it was going to end this way. He said, but I converted to Islam. He is now a committed Muslim. And as he goes on to tell the story of the last 10 years, he's got lots of stories where circumstances has worked together in such a way where his life has been changed. Where where there's a job, where there's opportunities, and where all these things have worked together. If you were listening to him tell the story for the first time, as I was for the first time, I was engaged, and then the ending was a little bit of a surprise. And as I sought that, as I thought that through, at first it caught me off guard. How do I respond? Because it sounded much like the stories that we might tell in the church, stories of circumstances working together. And in the church, we would say, work together in such a way that we find God and we find Jesus Christ and begin to follow him. So there was this moment where I was like, how do I respond to this? When in his mind, the circumstances had lined up perfectly to lead him to become a Muslim. Now, maybe you know that same experience in a little different ways. Maybe you've been in an environment where you're in a group or talking to someone who also is part of the church, and they say to you this, well, God just spoke to me. God said this to me. And, and we say that, and there's nothing wrong with that, because God does lead, and God does speak to us today. But if you're like me, you've been in an environment where someone has said that to you, and you're sort of thinking, I'm not so sure. Sure. I'm not so sure that was God. I'm thinking, you might be thinking, you might just have had a bad night's sleep. You might have had a bad piece of pizza. I'm not so sure that this is actually God speaking to you. And it's sort of the same sort of tension. How do we then interpret the voice of God? How do we interpret circumstances? Or maybe for some of you this morning, you're in a situation where you've been praying and you're seeking counsel from God. And you're just like, God, what do you have for me? Is it right or is it left? Is it A or is it B? God, what would you have me do? And you're in a spot where you're like, God, I just need guidance. I just need you to show me the path. And you're like, God, I just don't know what you want for me. And you're sort of in this waiting season, you know, longing for God to speak, longing for direction, but you're just not receiving it. And so, whether we're listening to someone else tell us their story of circumstances or the voice of God, or whether we're processing, you know, sort of what direction do we head in, here's the question God, would you, how does God show us the right way? How do we know if we're headed in the right direction? It's a really important question. It's a really important question because we need to communicate to other people how do they know? if they're headed in the right direction, and then ultimately, how do we know if we're headed in the right direction? Well, this morning, we come to a story where Paul is literally trying to figure out the direction in his life, and we're going to see some principles, and we're going to see some confusion there for him as he tries to figure out how is the Holy Spirit guiding him. If you remember our series, Paul started back at his mother church in Antioch, and there he is in Antioch, and and there was a clear moment in that story. It said, the Holy Spirit said to the church, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work I have for them. So clear, so specific, and so they were set aside, and they were sent out on a missionary journey. They go out, and that's what we've covered the last three weeks, about a two and a half year journey. They go on a cycle. They end up in Galatia. At least four churches get started. There and now they return home, and now they head out again. That's where we are today. They're heading out again, but this time it's different they're trying to figure out their way. And so we're going to look in and we're going to see some principles in how Paul figured out what the right direction was, how God led him and showed him he was heading in the right direction. And so we're going to see those today, but then we're also going to at the very end just see some principles about what do we do when we're waiting. So that's our journey this morning. I'd invite you to join me and open up your scriptures. It's Acts chapter 16. So we've skipped a chapter, and we're going to start in verse 5 today. And hope you've got your Bibles in front of you this morning. Just a quick review. This is two years later. Paul's returned back to Antioch from his first missionary journey. He's been there two years. He's gone to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council. And now he looks at Barnabas, his partner before, on the first journey. He says, hey, Barnabas, let's go back to Galatia. Let's go back and encourage the churches that we started there. But then what's interesting, what's happened is Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement. It's about who they should bring with them, and so actually the missionary team splits. And you can read this right before in in Acts 15, 16 there, right at the beginning. And Barnabas goes back to Cyprus, and then Paul takes a man named Silas. And they head up north through Tarsus, where Paul probably was a part of a church plant there previously, and they end up in Galatia when they end up in Galatia, they meet a young man named Timothy there. We talked about him previously, but this is the first time we actually see Timothy's name mentioned, and he joins the missionary team. So it's Paul, it's Silas, it's Timothy, it's the three of them, and they spend some time in Galatia doing ministry to the churches that Paul and Barnabas had started two years previous. So that's where we're going to pick up the story. It's Acts 16, verse 5. Here's the summary of their time there. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. I love that verse. Paul and Barnabas, when we left them last week, they had left these churches, they appointed elders. We weren't too sure how they were going to do. What's happening? But now they return, and these churches are stronger than ever. And Paul is strengthening them in their faith, and do you see what's happening? The Lord is adding to their numbers daily. This is the first time we've heard this kind of report, but now people are entrusting Christ every day and being added to their churches. They're stronger than ever. This would have been great to be a part of. This is the only God moment. Again, in Galatia, and I look in and I long for these kind of only God moments in our church and in our region and in our province, and you already know that's my heart, but I look in and just so encouraged. But yet Paul then Paul, you know that his heart is wired to go to new places where people have never heard of Jesus. He wants to go again and proclaim the message to unreached people. And really, basically, it's everywhere else in the world west of where Paul currently is. And so he wants to head out into new territory. Some may be tempted to stay because it's really good in Galatia. But Paul wants to head out and tell people who have never heard of Jesus again. So in a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up the map. So you can see this on the map. You're going to see where he started in Antioch. You're going to see the red line around to the four churches in Galatia. And as you see the map, I want you to think in your mind, where does Paul go next? Where's the next church that gets planted? So let's put up the map there. You can see it. You see the purple for Antioch. You see the yellow stars for the four churches in Galatia. Take a moment. Where does Paul go next? Where is the next church planted? Where do you think he gets led to? All right, we can go to the next slide, and there it is. Philippi, way over. You have to look to the other side of the map to see where Paul ends up. In fact, this is a whole different continent. He's moving from Asia, modern-day Turkey, all the way over to Europe, modern-day Greece. And you may think, how did Paul get there? This is not where I would have thought he would have ended up. And this is our our story next week. Paul in Philippi, the next church that gets started. But today we get the journey from where he is in Galatia over to Philippi. And we get to see how God led him. So look back in your Bibles to Acts Acts 16, verse 6 through 8. And let me just read you the journey on how Paul began to figure out Philippi was the place for him. Here's what it reads. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Fiagra and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Myasia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Myasia and went down to Troas. So there you have a journey from Galatia to Troas. I Google map this because these places still exist today. It's about 600 kilometers. Uh, It's the distance about from St. Catharines if you were walking to Montreal. And Google Maps told me that it would take 118 hours to walk this journey. So I did a little math. If Paul and Silas and Timothy walked six hours a day, it would have taken them 20 days if they were on a direct route. Now, we know they weren't on a direct route. We know, as we just read in the story, they're trying to figure out where to go next. They're trying to go north, and they're trying to go south, but neither of those is working for them, and so they just keep continuing on west until they get as far west as they can go to the sea, to Troas there. So let's say it took them two months, It could have taken as long as three months of a journey where they are wandering across western Turkey, perplexed and trying to figure out where God is guiding them. Imagine this. We don't think of Paul like this. We read those verses so quickly, but let's say it's three months. Paul is really lost for three months. He's like, God, where are you guiding us? We want to go north. No, not there. We want to go south, maybe down to Ephesus. It's a great city. No, not there. And so he just keeps wandering along. Imagine calling him on the phone. Paul, how's the missionary journey going? Well, we're walking west. Paul, any new converts? Not, not yet. Paul, where are, you gonna, where are you starting? We're not sure. We're not sure. They just keep going west. Now, finally, they get to Troas, They can't go any further west. And then here's what happens in Troas. Verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Macedonia is northern Greece where Philippi is. And so finally... After three months of wandering and praying and seeking God, God has provided guidance for them. It was not the kind of guidance they were expecting. In fact, I don't think Europe was even on their mind. But now they're moving to a whole new geographical region. If you follow what's happening in the news today, we know that Greece, even today, has a lot of refugees from Syria and from other places in Asia. And this area of Troas, actually a little bit north, is where they are crossing, where they're trying to get over to the Greek islands and trying to get to Europe. So there's a distinct geographical barrier here that we still feel today. And Paul wasn't thinking in those terms. But now God has led him Into new territory. So, how did God do that? Well, in this story, in these five verses, I just want to pull out some principles, some things that Paul was thinking and that we can learn from him as we try to determine how God is speaking to us today through the Holy Spirit. So, look with me at these verses. Let me pull out these principles. The first is this Paul didn't know where he was to go, but he did get some negative guidance. And you can see the places listed. Don't go north, don't go south. And so he was clearly hearing from God where he was not to go. He may, know, he may not have known what to do, but he did know what not to do. And to Paul's credit, he obeyed that. He obeyed the constraints, the direction that God was giving him. And so here's my first principle. It's this. We obey God-given constraints. If we're figuring out how do we know if we're going in the right direction, we simply determine to obey the God-given constraints. Now, for Paul, these were geographical. These were geographical constraints. But for us, we can broaden that. And we can look at all of Scripture And we can just simply say this, is what we are considering outside the bounds of Scripture? If it's outside the bounds of Scripture, we don't even need to pray about it, we don't need to think, we don't need to ask for God's guidance. The answer He's already given us is no. Imagine going to a prayer meeting and someone at the prayer meeting says, hey, I want you to pray for me. I'm trying to figure out ways to steal money from my employer. I've got several ideas, but I just need God's guidance on how best or what course of action he would have for me. You would say this, I'm not praying for that. I'm not praying for that, because what you are considering is outside the bounds of Scripture. Now, there are other times in our life, I know that seems like a crazy example, But there are other times in our lives where we know we're outside the bounds of Scripture, but yet we're still asking God for guidance. And here's what we learned from Paul. When we determine to obey God's moral law, when we determine to obey and surrender to God's moral will for us, that opens the door for us then to receive and to get direction on the personal will of God. Surrendering to God's moral will and obeying that allows, makes it much easier for us to discover the personal will of God. So that's the first principle we learn. We obey God-given restraints. Here's the second idea, and it comes from the last verse, or the vision. The vision says, you know, come over here and help us. It's actually not really a clear invitation. What does he mean by help? Well, they discuss it And they come to determine it means the help was to go and to preach the gospel. Now, how were they able to determine that? Because I think Paul was clear on what God had called him to do. We call him the Apostle Paul. Apostle simply means someone who goes to new territory and plants churches. So Paul was clear about his calling. He was clear about the way God had wired him. He was clear about the way he was gifted, and he was looking to fulfill that. And so here's my second principle that I learned. We follow our God-given gifting. We follow God-given gifting. Paul may not have known where he was to go, but he knew what he was to do. He knew that God wanted him to be an apostle and push out into new territory. And so that never was compromised. And sometimes, as we're seeking the will of God, simply knowing the way God has gifted us is immensely helpful. I would ask it this way Do you know your spiritual gifts? And here's the great thing the moment that we trust in Christ, God gives us each spiritual gifts. He doesn't give us all the gifts and he gives us each different gifts and each gift is to be used for the benefit of the body, to build up the body. And so you have a gift and a unique mix of gifts as I do, as everyone who is a follower of Christ does. And those gifts are given to you to build up the body and your gift is needed in the church. Some of you, I know you have the gift of mercy, You're you're just so so full of mercy and care for those that are hurting. Some of you have the gift of hospitality when you open up your homes and invite people in, it's just so wonderful. Others of you have the gift of service. You're like, you don't care if my name ever gets mentioned. I'll just serve behind the scenes and you just love doing that. Well, God has given us each gift, and as we know our gifts. And the, the, the vision and the, the ministry that God has given us, that helps us both to be able to say yes to opportunities, but also really important to be able to say no. If we know the way God has wired us, we can say, God, I know you're not heading me in this direction because this would call me to have to put into a, a use a gift that I do not have. So that's our second idea. We simply follow our God-given gifting. Then here comes the third one. This is often one's the one that gets elevated the most. It's the circumstantial one. Something happened, this happened, that happened, and so therefore I have made this conclusion. And Paul is certainly doing this. He's on a three-month journey across western Turkey. There would have been all sorts of circumstances that the Holy Spirit was using to guide them. And Luke doesn't tell us how the Spirit did that because I think it's a whole combination of things. They're looking at the circumstances and they're trying to figure out what God is doing and they're just sensing closed doors. So they just keep going west. Here's the question I think they were asking, or the way I would say it is this. We align ourselves with God's work around us. When we're considering the circumstances of our lives, we simply say, God, where are you at work, and how can I be in alignment with that? And I think Paul was realizing, for whatever reason, God was not working along the journey. There wasn't open doors for the gospel, and so that's why he kept proceeding Henry Blackaby, oh, it was probably 20, 30 years ago, wrote a book and a study guide called Experiencing God. I still love that book and the lessons he learned in there. But one thing that he highlights is simply that question, where is God working? And what he so well notes in that series is that oftentimes we want God to work here, and so we're working so hard at that, but then over here, God is already at work. And if we would just simply step back and say, God, where are you at work? I want to align myself with that. That just stepping back and analyzing the circumstances can cause us to take our energy out of one place and put it into another place. So simply put, here's the third idea. This is what Paul did. He aligned himself with God's work around him, and we do the same. Now then, here's the fourth idea, and I see it throughout, where they traveled, where they came to, where they they tried, they passed. And then the last word in the last verse is so good. They concluded together. It seems like all along the way, and this would make sense if you think about the journey, there's a lot of discussion going on. There's a lot of talking happening. And it's reflected in that last word, they concluded together, which means they they sort of rationalized, they thought, they considered all of these different things. There's a lot of group wisdom happening here in this moment. And as I sort of take that idea of the wisdom as the concluding, here's the principle, and I just take one step back from that principle, but here would be my principle. We prioritize biblical wisdom. So they're both looking at circumstances and what God is doing, but they're also taking those circumstances and they're running it through the grid of biblical wisdom, This is so important. How do we interpret all the different circumstances that are happening? We need to go to the Word of God with those. God's primary means, the primary means that God uses to lead and to guide us is His Word, is opening up the Scriptures. And so we make that a priority in our lives And here's the thing sometimes about the Word of God. God's logic sometimes seems illogical to us. You know, it says in the Old Testament, God's ways are not our ways. And so we look in and we've talked about we obey the God-given restraints. But now we go in and we say, God, let me prioritize the wisdom that you have given in the Word of God. And at times we know this does not seem logical to us. Matthew 6.33 says, seek me first, seek first the kingdom of God, and all else will be added unto you. Well, That seems illogical. God, I need to worry about this, and I need this, and I need this. And he says, no, just put me and my kingdom first, and everything else will be added unto you. That takes faith to do that when it comes to money. God says, whatever you receive, the first thing you do with it, be a percentage giver. Give back to my kingdom and my ministry. And if you're trying to figure out what you should do with your finances, that just seems totally illogical. That just doesn't make any sense. But we say, God, your ways are higher than my ways. And in faith, I'm going to prioritize you and put you first with my money. And and I'm just going to trust you. And God, you work in those environments. You work and take that faith and you work. Or think of it relationally. You know, God says forgiveness is better than bitterness. And that takes some time to understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. But forgiveness is better than bitterness. And we sort of like bitterness. It's fun for a moment. You get to work it all through in your mind. You get to maybe think about revenge. But God says, no, bitterness, revenge in the end leaves you empty. But forgiveness is better. And so we say, God, that doesn't It doesn't seem, you know, your ways are higher than my ways, but I'm going to trust you, learn what forgiveness is, and move towards that. So here's the fourth idea. We simply prioritize biblical wisdom. And uh, that's where I would say, you know, you think of my friend who is a Muslim. This is the point that we have discussed. Because I can't argue with his circumstances, and he can't argue with my circumstances. But here's the reality. Both of the circumstances of our lives led us to truths, and they led us to different truths. And here's how I would say this to my Muslim friend, and if he's watching today, he knows that I said this pretty much in the same way to him. But here's how I say it. One of us is right, and one of us is wrong. You know, one of us, our circumstances of our life has led us to some truth that is correct, and the other one, the circumstances of our lives, have led us to truth that is wrong. In fact, I would say it this way, one of us is right and one of us is eternally wrong. And so our circumstances need to be led through a grid of truth, and that's what these two points together. Yes, we're looking at circumstances, but we're also prioritizing biblical wisdom to help us understand those circumstances. Here's the fifth idea. It comes down to verse number nine. It just simply starts off, during the night. You imagine, Paul, He's been on this three-month journey across western Turkey. No guidance from God. He gets to Troas, and he's like, God, what do I do? And so what's he doing? You so love this about Paul. He's up all night praying. I get this. He's like, God, we're wandering. God, it's been a long time. We want to do your work. What do you have next for us? And what I so love about the heart of Paul here is he's just praying in the middle of the night. We don't know what Silas and Timothy are doing, but there's Paul, up and seeking the Lord personally. And that's the fifth idea I would say about how we know we're headed in the right direction or how do we get God's guidance. We simply seek the Lord personally. Sometimes it's not God's unwillingness to speak to us. Sometimes it's our unwillingness to go to God and actually hear from him. It's our unwillingness to get down on our knees, to open up our Bibles and say, God, I'm just going to spend today, I'm going to spend this week seeking your face for guidance. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. God, I'm just going to go after you so that you might speak to me. And here's the thing that's so important to remember. Sometimes we think the most important thing is for God to guide us. But let me say something is more important than that. God would say, what's more important than me guiding you is me knowing you. And God would say in his heart, I long to be in relationship with you. I long to know you. And so, yes, I want to guide you. But first, I want to be your friend and I want to be your king. And so for those of you watching today, who have never trusted in Jesus. And you're saying, God, I wish you'd give me direction. Can I just tell you the next step? What God would say to you today? The very next step in your journey would be to come to Jesus, to trust in him. What the Bible tells us is that we've all turned our back on God. We've all walked away from him. The Bible calls it sin. And we're out of relationship with God. But yet God longs that we would be in relationship with him. So he sent Jesus Christ. And through his death, And his resurrection provides the way that we now can come back to God and be in relationship with him. And so if you have never trusted Christ and you're looking for God's guidance today, wouldn't you now come to Jesus, trust in him to forgive your sin, trust in him to be your only hope for now and for all of eternity, surrender your life to him, make him king. And as you come into that personal relationship, see how God would guide you from there. So that's our fifth idea. We seek the Lord personally. Last idea, and you see this play out. You see the they, 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 they in the first half. And I don't know if you noticed this. Then in the second half, what you see is the we, the we, the we. So there's a they and there's a we, but it's always plural. It's always plural. And so here's what Paul is doing. They're talking about this. They are discussing about this, and I already mentioned, I think they're trying to get some biblical wisdom in here, but there also is just group wisdom. This is not Paul just dictating what's happening. Even after the vision, and it happens fairly quickly, but they get up, and then it says, we concluded together. So Paul shared the vision with them, and they all said, this is how God is leading and guiding us. So here's my sixth idea. We listen to wise counsel. We listen to wise counsel. One of the primary ways God guides us is just the wisdom and insight from other believers. We just look around to those that are much more mature than us, those that know more, and we just ask them to speak into our lives. Because here's what we know. Our emotions have a tendency to cloud our judgment. Our emotions have an ability to lessen our ability to actually reason well. Sometimes we can just get lost in all that's going on in our minds. And so the counsel of wise believers around us. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where like you were so set on something, you just felt it was so right and those people around you, they just said, no, they were really cautious and you went ahead and did it anyway. And then two years later, you're like, oh wow, wow, they were all right. And you're sort of reversing course to get back on to where they are. I I think we've all sort of had moments like that. And so if you're in a situation now and the people who are closest to you, the people who love you the most, who know you the best, if they're cautious about something, if they're looking in on your life and they're putting up some, you know, yellow flags, some warning signs, here would be my encouragement. Please listen carefully to that. Don't, don't just, don't just uh, ignore that or say that's irrelevant because you're so stuck on what you want to do. Please listen carefully to the wise counsel that God has put around you. So those are the six ideas. Those are the six ways that God uses the six principles that as we invest in those things through His Holy Spirit, He begins to guide us and show us we are going in the right direction. And this is an only God's story. Yes, after three months of wandering, God does guide. And this is the promise of Scripture. It says in Proverbs that if we trust in the Lord, He will direct our paths. And this is the moment. And what a wonderful moment of God's direction this is. The gospel goes to a whole new continent. The God the gospel pushes out into Europe and down the island of or down the the continent of Greece there. And we'll see that play out in the next weeks, the ministry that God has for them in what is now modern day Greece. But you may look in on this and you may say, Well, you know, this is three months of wasted time. You know, three months a waste of wasted time. God could have given this vision back in Antioch. He could have given it to Galatia. They could have gone on a direct road. And sometimes we're in the situation where we're like, God, just guide us. I, don't want, I want to be done the waiting. I know you guide. And I know I've got to invest in these principles, but God, could you just speed it up a little bit? I just need guidance right now. And here's what I want to say. I just want to say that as we're waiting, God is always doing a million things that we're not aware of. And maybe even as you think of COVID right now, we're in a waiting season, waiting for different things in different ways, but we're all waiting. And what my encouragement has been all along, Harbor, God's got a purpose. God's got a plan in these things. And as we are waiting as individuals and as a church, let's not miss the purposes that God has. God is up to a million things that we don't see. And so we say, God, we're waiting. We want this season to be over, but we're trusting you to work. And so just quickly as we look back on this story, you may say, what was God up to? Why was God up to in these three months of waiting? Did anything of value happen? And I've got four quick things I'll tell you to encourage us. One is a region is ripened. A region is ripened. You remember as we read, Paul didn't get to go to Bithynia. That's the, the northern region, and he wanted to go there. And you may say, God, why didn't Paul get to go to Bithynia? Are there not people there who need Jesus and need to hear the message? Well, later on, when we read from the disciple Peter, he writes two books in the New Testament, first and second Peter. And do you know who he writes to? He writes to the be- believers in Bithynia. And it's like in God's sovereign way, he was like, Paul. I've got to work for you over in Macedonia, and so I'm going to send you there. But I've also got a work in Bithynia, and I've got a pretty good guy named Peter. And later on, as the season is prepared, I'm going to have Peter there in Bithynia to minister to the believers there. And so God had something in mind that Paul did not see, but but his work went on in Bithynia. Here's the second thing that happened. A leader was equipped. Timothy's new. He's new on the team. He hasn't known Paul that long, and now they've got a three-month journey together, somewhat of an indirect route. Imagine the conversations they had. Imagine the relationship that is formed as they're wandering across western Turkey together. Imagine all Timothy learned and how Paul invested in his life. Many of us would say today, we'd love three months with the apostle Paul. We'd walk anywhere with him. We'd just walk around in a circle and come back to where we started. It would all be good. We'd love to have that kind with him, and Timothy gets this time. And we see their deep relationship that begins to be formed in these moments. Paul speaks into Timothy. And in the following weeks, over in Greece, Timothy needs to be ready. He's called into action in significant ways to minister to the churches there. And we'll see the value of this equipping play out in future weeks. Here's the third thing God does. I called it a team member is added. And I mentioned earlier, when we read this section of Acts, it has the we, the they section, and then the we section. And here's what most scholars think is that the we sections is when Luke actually was there. He includes himself in the story. And so what we learn from this, the we sections here start in Troas and then end in Philippi. Luke travels with this missionary team. He's the fourth member and then they leave him in Philippi. Because then years later when they're back in Philippi, the we sections start again and and Luke travels with them to Jerusalem. Now, you may say, well, that's not much of a time. He wasn't really with them that long. He's not that important of a team member. But remember who Luke is. He writes like 25% of the New Testament. He's this great historian. He writes the book of Luke, and he writes the book of Acts that we are reading today. Imagine being on the ship from Troas to Philippi and sitting with Luke and Paul on the deck. Wow, that would be a conversation to be a part of. And so while they're waiting, while they're waiting, while they're wandering, God connects Luke and Paul. We don't even know if maybe Luke came to faith in Christ through Paul in his time in Troas. And then here's a fourth thing, a foundation is laid. A foundation is laid. In the city of Troas, this is Paul's first visit. We know he comes back years later, and he says there was a really open field for evangelism. He tells us that in 2 Corinthians. And then, back in the book of Acts, he's back on a third journey. And some of you know this story. It's where there's a whole church gathered there, and he teaches them all night in an upper room, and a young man named Eutychus falls out of the window. It's an incredible story. So here's what we know, is that the third time Paul is in Troas, there's a functioning, strong church here. And so on this first visit, there would have been and some foundation laid for that church. Luke doesn't tell us about it, but God begins to do something in that moment. So here's the four things God is up to that we now can look and see. A region is ripened, a leader is equipped, a team member is added, and a foundation is laid. And so if you're in a spot right now where you're waiting on God's guidance, And we all, to our agree are waiting on COVID. Know that God has purposes. God has plans. He's equipping us. He's building foundations. He's bringing other people into our lives for his good. And so if you're in that spot, would you wait and trust in God? If you're waiting on God's direction, wait and trust in him and know that he has purpose, and then go back and look at these six things, these six principles. Some will be more relevant to some than others, but go back and review the six and say, God, may you help me to invest in all six of these. And through that, we can have confidence that God does direct and guide our steps. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, thank you for this story. God, thank you just for the encouragement is from Paul to know that he didn't have it all was all figured out and didn't always know where you wanted him to head. And God, thank you, Lord, that in the same way you led Paul, God, we can have confidence that you lead and guide us. So, Lord, help us, Lord. Save us from ourselves, and Lord, help us to invest and follow the principles that you have given us this morning. God, for those that are waiting right now, may you help them, may you strengthen them, may you give them perspective. God, may you encourage them in a waiting season, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. However, we may not know all of God's will for us individually, but here's what we do know. God would give us opportunities this week to share Jesus. He would give us opportunities to encourage one another. And so if God opens a door for you, if God puts someone's name on your heart, may you encourage them, may you seek to reach out to them this week. Let's love one another as a church and let's love those that need to hear the message of Jesus. And so let me just end with the four words we say every Sunday, Harbor, we are sent.